If you want some tools today, then you're in luck. We're talking webpack so transforming scripts won't suck. Now don't go wasting your precious time. If you bundle it together, then you'll be just fine. You will tell me what I want, what I really, really want. So tell, tell me what, what you want, want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna really, really, really want to later start. Welcome to Tools Day, a podcast about tech tools, tips, and tricks on Tuesdays at 2. I'm your co-host, Yuna. And I'm Chris. And today we're talking about Webpack. So we have an awesome, awesome guest on the show today. His name is Sean Larkin. You've probably heard of him if you're familiar with Webpack. And if you're not, you've heard of him now. He's the maintainer of Webpack. He's also a dev evangelist. You'll probably find him on Twitter. Um, And we'll have all of that info in our show notes because you should follow up. Hi, Sean. What's up? How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited to have you on. Chris might be even more excited to have you on because, like, we've been talking about this for a while. I'm like, yeah. Well, Chris has been telling me about Webpack 2 for a while, which is, like, a brand new thing. It is. I've, I've been on the Webpack train for a long time. I've been converting, trying to convert Yuna to the Webpack train for, like, two years. Probably more than that. Jump aboard. I've, I've used it. So I'm, like, a user of Webpack. I'm not an abuser of Webpack. <laughs> like, I, I can work it, but I... I can't really tell you all the internals, um, <laughs> but that's okay. That's um, how you start. So Webpack 2 is new. We're going to talk about the differences between that and uh, Webpack 1. Um, but first, Sean, like, what is what is this thing that we've been mentioning called Webpack? Oh, man, where do I start? So there's like a bunch of different ways to describe it. Um, so everybody calls it a module bundler. Um, and you might say, like, oh, what's that mean? Well, uh, a lot of people like to separate their code into JavaScript modules. So you may have heard of, like, CommonJS, um, which is what uh, people who write in Node.js use, uh, as well as, like, ES6 modules, which isn't really completely solidified yet. But the whole point is that it allows you to encapsulate your code um, and keep it organized and clean and you're not throwing a bunch of global variables all willy-nilly everywhere. So that was the premise. Um and what Webpack does is it takes those modules, which none of them run in the browser, and actually processes them into one to a bunch of different static JavaScript files that you can load in the browser. Um, but it comes with a whole bunch of other benefits. So, like, anything is treated as a module. So you could load, uh, you know, it lets you do weird things like import CSS into your JavaScript, uh, as well as, like, images and you are, uh, all sorts of things that take URLs, Um and so it, it can be really anything you want, and it's a tool that makes it really easy to do awesome things with web development. But it's also not just for JavaScript. Like, you can take SAS files and transform those. You can minify HTML. Yes. Like, the world is your oyster when it comes to file transformations exactly. uh, via Webpack. That's right. I think a bunch of us have our set of favorite loaders we all use in every project. Um, you know, just mentioned the HTML one. I don't think it can live without that. Um, the one that generates HTML for you. Um, it's drastically simplified my React bundles at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, good times. HTML Webpack plugin is probably my favorite. Yep. What are your other like top favorite plugins? Um, if I had to choose a bunch of ones I really like. So like, there's some that are in our core like organization already that maybe I don't count. So if I count like the third-party ones that the community has made, uh, like one of them is like SVG React Loader. Like that is so cool. 
What does that do? Uh, basically, it allows you to take um, like SVGs and convert it into React components. And so you have the like you get this all sorts of awesome flexibility. Uh, what else does it? See, there is HTML Webpack plugin, which it kind of treats an HTML file as an entry point. And the benefit to that is that you have the ability to um, essentially take and uh, treat. So you can do all your normal webpackery, but what happens is that you also specify an HTML file uh, like a template. And so what it does is when it builds your, your code, it'll automatically create an HTML file with all of your scripts injected to it or inside of it for you. So things like hashing and all sorts of that stuff that would require manual add and replace or, or scripts are all handled for you. Nice. What about you, Chris? I would have to say, if I'm trying on favorite loaders, um, the first time I found that, the first time, I, my first exposure to Babel was through Webpack, really. And so the Babel loader is now like a requirement for basically everything. It's, it's kind of a gimme at this point, I guess. Maybe it's cheating to say Babel loader. I take it back. Uh, that one is just too obvious. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, but it's true. Like, that's how I got onto Webpack in the first place when Babel started becoming a thing and it was kind of like, how do you implement this in the easiest way? And everyone said Webpack. Yeah, I mean, what, their community is really cool. Like Henry uh, Zhu is also like you know, really in close communication with us. So anything that we kind of decide how to do, we always look for him, especially when it comes to Babel or extra ES features. So uh, it's a really awesome like fusion between us. Um, so if somebody wanted to get started with using Webpack in a, two ways. The first question is a brand new project, and the second question is what if they wanted to implement it into an existing system? Like, What would be a good way to get started with that? Ooh, okay. So um, the first thing I always recommend is taking a look at our new documentation page. Uh, it was kind of something we shipped uh, with Webpack 2.2. It is so beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, I kept clicking around it today. It is so nice. Thank you. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so take a look there and go to our concept section because it, it basically has a step-by-step -step of just the overview of the ideas in Webpack. So like, what's an entry point and what are loaders and, you know, what are plugins and how do they relate to Webpack as a system? Uh, but then also, so like if you're starting in a new project, um, I think start with the concepts first and then essentially decide what kind of tools you need uh, or what, what your solution is. So if you're looking to do some post-processing or pre-processing, um, you know, you can look to see the different kind of loaders that we have in our community. Even just a simple NPM search will yield a lot of different results for you. Um, but I think start small. So like create a couple of JavaScript modules, don't get too fancy, and then kind of layer the additional features in as you go. For an existing project, um, it depends on what you're coming from. So I guess if like you're <laughs> like one of my old jobs was, you know, a good example. It, it would have been really overwhelming to try and switch to Webpack. Like we had a one JavaScript file that was like ten thousand lines long for eighty percent of all of our pages called Global JS, and so I can only imagine what that would be like. But I think you kind of have to evaluate what's what code are you actually using. Um, and the best way that I've found to do it is to kind of like rip off the band-aid. So the goal is to really have as few script tags as possible, you know, in your, in your browser when you're loading your website. So on an existing project, I always like doing it the painful way. So rip off all of your script tags except 
for the one that's going to be generated for you. And then try to see uh, exactly how much code can be loaded. So, like, what are you using that are modules? Um, do you have scripts that are, like, you know, just wrapped in iffies and they need to actually be exported or imported or something like that? Um, and it's kind of like a, a, a fresh start for you to take all the kind of existing code that you might have and convert them into smaller modules, look into, you know, different folder structures. Um, and then uh, once you get there, then you can kind of start deciding, well, what should I do with my styles and images and things like that? But I always say start small um, and, and start with just JavaScript. And then once you're ready to try and implement other things, you know, then go ahead and yeah, do so. That's actually how I, so I kind of was a Webpack evangelist uh, over here at IBM Bluemix. And when I got here, I was like, all right, I want to first use Gulp and then transition to Webpack. It's kind of a long process for us, and, but it was the very same thing. We had one massive, gigantic JavaScript file, and it was the, the best way for me to pitch Webpack and modules was to say, hey, nobody can read this file. Imagine if we just split this up into maybe you know, 20 different files. Maybe something can be you know, actually usable. So, Yeah, my, microservices are definitely um, the way that uh, my JavaScript is kind of moving right now. So I have a question for you, actually. Um, one thing I always have to kind of talk about is like, hey, when do I, you know, move from just concatting my scripts to Webpack? And once I move to that point, do I use Webpack? What? Why would I use Webpack over, you know, Rollup, which gets me a much smaller bundle size? So what's your kind of your answer to that kind of question? Well, so you automatically get a bunch of wins uh, when you're doing the loading versus actual concatenation. So, so essentially, what Webpack does behind the scenes is that. The first thing is that, like, if you think about a gulp or a grunt task, you're passing, like, a glob of all the JavaScript files wherever in your project. So, like, that legacy file that you made one time on accident and accidentally checked into your branch and then had a giant to-do to say don't load it might actually still be loading in your browser. So, uh, like, the great thing about Webpack is that you're specifying one file for Webpack to start looking for a bunch of different require or import statements. And then from there, what happens is that it's only going to collect what you're explicitly uh, requesting uh, in each file. And so, like, it's not the same as your traditional concatenation, where it's just everything with that extension smushed together. Um, you're really only getting what you use and what you need. Um, so, like, that that's the first kind of immediate win, I suppose. Um, but then also, I guess, on top of it, uh, there's no... Although many people use the example of it takes a bunch of modules and puts it into one big bundle. Really, I mean, Webpack is so uh, flexible that you can put it into five different bundles instead of, you know, one ginormous one. Um, or if uh, you're using Webpack 2, you can actually split it into 20 different modules at a certain file size um, that, that end up in the browser and work the same way. So I, it's really flexible in that regard, but I think the main point is that the dependency graph is so much more powerful than just, you know, kind of globbing things together. I actually wanted to ask you um, along those lines, I feel like you get this question more and more these days. With HTTP2, it's not as important to bundle everything into one file. Um, do you kind of get pushback with developers these days saying like, oh, well, it might actually be better to send multiple JavaScript files? Oh, yeah. I mean, like for sure, you, you wouldn't want it. There's not much of a win 
uh, in HTTP2 to just send one JavaScript bundle. But we've made these really cool plugins like aggressive splitting plugin. I know it sounds kind of violent. Uh, but <laughs> what it lets you do is you just specify a min file size and a max file size and say, well, I want to only, I want to split each or my entire dependency graph into, let's say, 30 kilobyte bundles. And so that might produce, you know, 20 uh, scripts in the correct dependency order uh, with no race conditions or anything like that and inject it into your browser versus, let's say, um, which is really good for HTTP2. Uh, yeah, I think is. sometimes there's, uh, like, although H2 is going to solve a lot of legacy site problems with having, you know, a bajillion script tags, what people are going to notice is that if they start relying solely on just immediate requests, you you realize pretty quickly if you're using no modules, you have, like, 400, 500 nested deep dependencies in total. And so, you know, there there is... a kind of a ceiling there when it comes to just kind of going one file request at a time. Yeah. Um, speaking of two, <laughs> I do want to ask you what are smooth <laughs> transition. I've got to say that's the best that I've ever done. I can quit now. <laughs> um, so Webpack 2.2, multiple twos, um, just came out like this week, last week, very recently. Yeah, last week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the features? Like, what is the difference? You kind of hinted at them. Oh, man, there's so many differences. So in comparison, just flat Webpack 1. So the, and the not just the website. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just, like, you know, that's the funny thing you mentioned is that the docs was, like, one of the number one features that we got out of the community. And so we were like, man, we're not going to ship Webpack 2 until we give first-time users a kick-ass experience because they deserve it. I mean, for so long, people have been, you know, either just – kind of copying what other people have done and, you know, we're like... Yeah, using boilerplates. Mm-hmm. That was a big um, criticism of Webpack when it just came out, that it was a little difficult to wrangle. Um, sure. A lot of people weren't very used to it. <laughs> totally. I mean, so that was, like, feature number one, so docs. Um, and then two, I think the number one, like, greatest feature between one and two is the fact that uh, Webpack will parse what we call uh, harmony statements. Uh, so essentially ES6 imports and exports. And so you didn't have to use Babel um, ES2015 to transpile import statements to require statements. So the benefit is that when, uh, you know, ES6 is kind of, uh, their resolution is static in terms of collecting the dependencies. And so Webpack uh, leverages this to be able to uh, use a, I guess, technique called tree shaking or dead code elimination. And so essentially you could have, four or five exports uh, from a single file, but you may only be importing one of them. So instead of pulling in all the code from that file, what happens is that Webpack marks those other four, and uh, when it gets minified, those other four, you know, I guess functions or classes or whatever, will get removed from your bundle. And so uh, it, it kind of, again, leverages that dependency graph to see exactly what's used from within a file. And so I'd say ES6 imports support is probably the number two. Um, but then there's like all these little things as well. So we added a, our, the dynamic import uh, function, which is, I think it's in stage three right now, but it lets you it, essentially by passing import, and it looks like a function, kind of like super. Uh, but whenever you import a path to a module in your code base with that syntax, it's actually going to lazy load the code that comes from there and it returns a promise. So um, it's a really awesome and I guess you could say 
more up-to-date and standard syntax for code splitting. And that's something that's been really emphasized by the community is that, you know, we want to try and limit the amount of code that you download uh, up front to, let's say, 250 to 300 kilobytes uh, unminified. And so um, patterns like this are really nice because, one, it aligns with the, the ES spec for the, the loader, but then also it's something that when people use in Webpack, they get all these extra benefits from. Cool. Um, but I could ramble like for 20 minutes on all the other features. <laughs> we had um, a show a little while ago about um, module loaders, and Broccoli was the only one that had tree shaking back then. It was about a year ago at this point. Uh, I think even last year, Rollup had it too. Um, Maybe so. Yeah, that that was one of Rollup's like kind of key features. They do so. Instead, Rich Harris always says instead of dead code elimination, it's like used module inclusion is what he calls it. Because the way that it works is that it only hoists the code that's being used into a single scope, and then the rest of it is just you know tossed away and discarded. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a hallmark feature that we're still wanting to add into Webpack. Uh, it. It's, it's more powerful than the kind of tree shaking we're doing because we still wrap every module that gets kind of in the dependency graph in this little wrapper function. And so over time, you have a little bit of overhead for each module in your bundle. Cool. I was going to say, one of the ways that I, I've seen a work around that, I guess, is just use code splitting more aggressively. Um, is that kind of what you suggest more or less to get around that? Absolutely. And, you know, I... I forgot to mention that I did make a two-character change just before we dropped dropped master, or I guess 2.2 final. Um, so we were working with the V8 team, and this was a feature we found from Rollup that they're working on, is that you can wrap those little wrapper functions that are inside of our bundle, you can wrap them in little parens. And if you do that, it causes what's called this eager parsing to the V8 engine. And I think it's almost every engine does it as well, so for any browser. But it increased parsed, uh, increased initial load times, or it decreased them by like 25, all the way up to like 70 to 80 percent. And so, like in combination with wow, code splitting, two characters. Then, yeah, so it essentially it increased the speed by yeah by that much. It was just a two character change in the source code. Um, but yeah, it it was really powerful, and it's just a little trick for the you know the JavaScript engines. That's amazing. But code splitting for the win, like you should try and like even when you design a feat, uh, like your website, think about different ways. Like you know, if this is a modal, then you know this should be a temporal element, and this is probably something that you can code split. You know, when it's appearing for the first time, because you'll never need that code on initial render or routes or even kind of progressive things. Like if you have a toolbar and you know you really only care about the search box. Well, all the stuff to the right and the left, maybe you can lazy load that as well. And it kind of focuces the call out for how a user interacts with your page. Yeah, I, I wanted to um, kind of break that down a little bit because code splitting is one of these words that people are throwing around more and more these days. Like um, like Chrome DevT like, picked up and started like talking about it a lot at the last um, summit they had. Uh, so if, if the example you gave like with a module, can you describe code splitting on that? Like uh, if you had, a, I don't know, like a pop-up form, um, how would you break that up? Yeah, so essentially uh, what you could do, so code splitting happens in Webpack when you use a specific syntax, so like the import syntax. Um, what you would want to do is say, um, 
you're probably going to be listening for an event for this modal to pop up, right? And so inside of that kind of event callback, you'll do something like import and then the path to this module, and then you'll have that returns a promise. So you can do dot then and then return that actual module code for you. And then any kind so of... So it doesn't load until you need it. Exactly. And then uh, essentially... It isn't something that really happens dynamically. What Webpack does is it, it analyzes that as a asynchronous chunk. And so it'll create a separate file with only that code that will be from that module. And it'll also build that statically so that when that time comes, it just fetches it on demand for you. That was the most clear and concise explanation of code splitting I've heard. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so in Webpack 1, we had to use the require essentially, uh, syntax. It was like the common JS in the middle of years, ES6. In Webpack 2, you can use system import now, or is that that I miss? So system import is still possible, but we're going to start throwing deprecation warnings for it because it doesn't align with the actual loader spec. Um, but you can use that, uh, but we're, what it's being replaced by is just import. So think of if you remove the system dot, and then it's just import. Oh. Yep, it's in stage okay. And I mean, you can still use require.ensure. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, we still, what's really cool about Webpack, at least from an architecture standpoint, is that everything underneath that configuration inside of our source code are plugins. And so, like, you know, those same plugins that you use in your configuration, that's like 80% of the Webpack source code. So we use that same plugin system behind the scenes, and that config is just a I guess, for lack of better terms, a big-ass logic tree that throws different plugins based on the values. And so, like, when our parser picks up that syntax, there's a specific plugin that executes and passes a, a very specific template. So, like, we're able to support all three at the same time and gracefully, uh, you know, deprecate each one as, as we go. Or let's say if the spec changes again, it's as simple as adding a new plugin and a new template for that plugin. That is really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's probably one of my favorite parts. I mean, it makes the code kind of hard to contribute to at first, but uh, um, once you kind of have an overview of how it works, it's it's really awesome and super flexible. Yeah. So I, I kind of have one last question for you. So um, in Webpack 1, one of the big things I loved about it was, it was the hot module replacement. Has that changed much in Webpack 2? Yeah, so there's still, def uh, there's still support for hot module replacement. Um, I... So uh, kind of just maybe three months before we added on, uh, you know, we're still kind of in progress. We noticed that we found somebody who had been consistently contributing and he reached out to me and he said, hey, I would love to be you know, more involved. Um, you know, I've been essentially maintaining Webpack Dev Server and Dev Middleware. And I was like, oh, my God. So uh, his name's uh, Case Kluskins. He's now the latest member on our core team. But uh, he's been doing a, an excellent job keeping up with maintaining those two those two packages uh, in our organization and ensuring that hot module replacement is still working really well. Um, and the patterns uh, for as much as I know uh, are still working really well. We maybe had one or two bugs total for this entire release. And uh, we're getting really excited to move Webpack 2.2 off the beta tag and switch it to latest and see how people react. I'm um, excited to try this out. I'm like currently playing on the website. Sorry, I was just like, wow, the docs you can kind of like click open and close. And I don't know why that totally like distracted me. Um, <laughs> but we're actually at time for a show. Um, 
I knew that Chris would have more questions than me because he's always been like the Webpack advocate in my life. (laughs) (laughs) But this definitely seems like an awesome improvement. Um, And thank you so much for being on our show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, if you want to check it out, the new uh, the new Webpack site is webpackjs.org, and you can get all the information about the new version on there, um, learn about it, getting started. You could support the team. You could be a backer. It would be awesome, especially if you use this at work. Like, you're actually backing this for making money off it. Um, so definitely check that out, and thanks for listening to our show.